If we're not a, a, a church that w- with an eye to the glory of God and to this commandment, to bow down and worship the one true God and remember his word, if it goes wrong here, there's going to be untold numbers of people who are led astray. You've got to pray for the preacher. You've got to pray for the leadership of the church. You've got to pray that the church will be kept pure in its worship, in its practice, in its witness, that we will not participate in nor encourage any false worship. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and it is a joy to bring you the message of the gospel from our church to you, wherever you are, your home, your car, your outing. May the Lord draw near and minister to your heart today. We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and we had an introduction of how the Ten Commandments were given to a liberated people who were brought out of bondage to rule their hearts and lives. The Ten Commandments is not the way to be saved. It is the rule of how to live after we are saved and redeemed, and that we will take note of today again as we look at the matter of no graven images. Thou shalt not have unto thee any other gods, nor make unto thee any graven image of any likeness, heaven, earth, or the sea below. We are not to make any images, lest we become idolaters. And the message today is about crossing the line into idolatry. We have to be very careful on that one. We begin with Romans today on the whole theme of God's righteousness. And as you know, the reverse side of righteousness is God's wrath, because his wrath is coming upon all the unrighteous and who constantly deny and rebel against God's truth, and they will be judged. And so we are turning to our thoughts here on the very ministry of the Apostle Paul as he set up this truth that the gospel, the backdrop for the gospel, the uh, context, the very uh, reason for declaring the gospel is because of God's wrath against sinners and against all unrighteousness. Now, we have a few questions in this. How will it control the evangelistic message in our outreach literature and talking the gospel? Is it right for us to use the word hell or God's wrath or God's judgment when we are speaking to people about their need to consider the gospel? Should we put the word hell into the gospel leaflet? Should we use that word as we would converse converse one-to-one with a friend? And, of course, should the evangelist use that in the gospel meeting or the minister conducting the church service? Is the word hell appropriate in the 21st century? Well, the, the way to answer that is, is hell still a reality? If there is no longer a hell, then let's be done with it. But what grounds have we to say that there is no longer a place of everlasting punishment? God's wrath is against all unrighteousness, we are told. And consistently through the book of Romans, this whole matter of God's wrath comes up. And I would challenge any listener today 
to read the book of Romans. Just start at chapter 1, read right through the chapters in each section of the book, and there you will see God's wrath repeated over and over and over. And so if we are going to be ministering faithfully to the Bible and to what the terminology of the Apostle Paul, uh, then we too must bring up the matter of God's wrath against sin. And that God, we pray, will use to awaken people to the danger they're in and their need to flee from the wrath to come. Next question. In light of chapter 2 on this matter of God's wrath, is it better to leave people in ignorance about the gospel? Is it better just to leave them alone and don't give them this knowledge uh, and, and leave them undisturbed? Well, of course, the answer is no. The work of ministry and evangelism is to warn men to flee from the wrath to come and to go to them with, with the, the message of the gospel in real terms that they will be awakened out of their blindness and they will be brought to see their urgent need of repentance and that they may turn to God and that God by his Spirit may give them repentance. That's the need. And so let us be faithful and let us uh, be in prayer that God will awaken men to the need to be saved and to run to the cross and to rest in the sacrifice that Jesus offered to satisfy the wrath of God for sin. So stay tuned with us now as we turn to our message. May the Lord speak through his word. Idolaters cross the line from no similitude to something visual. And when they bow down to it, when they begin to make that their way of worship, they become idolaters. Now, there are some people in the world, and they don't believe in cameras or making pictures of anything. They don't believe in art. They don't believe in making any uh, presentation of, a, a, of anything around them because they say that's contrary to this command. No, it's when you bow down. It's when you make that an object of worship that it becomes wrong. You can't close your eyes to the fact that there is a sun or the moon. Those things are there. We don't eradicate everything visual. We don't pray for blindness because we want to keep the second commandment. There are objects all around us, but the, the command is about don't worship them. Don't use them as a, an aid to worship. It's the Word by which we worship God. The second thing is this commandment requires worship through one mediator one mediator. Now, when you read this book, you'll find that Moses was a mediator to the people. And you go to chapter 20, and uh, the people said to Moses, verse 19, chapter 20, 19, they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. The people began to fear God, recognizing his extreme glory after the thunderings and the quaking of the mountain and the smoke that appeared and the fire before their eyes. They said, Moses, you go talk to God, but we're not going to talk to him directly. And so Moses became a, a mediator. Now, we do have a mediator in the gospel, and that is our Lord Jesus. First Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus. And that's why we pray in his name. Everything we pray unto God and we call upon God to do for us, we ask in Jesus' name. And that's what brings us now to be focused worshipers of the true God, the Father of the Lord Jesus, and we're asking in Jesus' name, and we have no other mediator. Now, you take this and apply it to what many do who pray through saints, through the apostles, although they're all dead. Their bodies have turned to dust in the grave somewhere, and they use those names to call on God. Or Mary worship, which is so proliferate around the world, not only in Roman Catholicism, but in other religions they have mother-child pictures. And they say, well, this is the soft, tender heart of a woman, the way to God. And there are things that Jesus would refuse that you ask in Mary's name. All of that is wrong. One mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not pray by a priest. There is no man who can take the office of being between you and God. Only Jesus. He's between you and God. There are many ways to Christ, but there's only one way to the Father. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by or through me. John 14, 6. John 14, 6. That's a key verse. And that will keep us from idolatry. That will keep us from object worship. And we're commanded to use that name of the Lord Jesus by coming by a mediator. Now, point number three. We're making some progress here. The first thing we've learned, that our pure worship to obey the second commandment is to always remember the absolute principle that there is no likeness of God. He has no similitude. Secondly, there's one mediator, his son. Only one. God appointed him as a mediator. And thirdly, we cannot meet the requirements of this commandment unless it is done out of love. We talked about those who hate God. Then we've got to be the people who love God. And we've got to express that love. We've got to show and demonstrate it. You'll see there in verse 6, Exodus 20, verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. Now, all of that requires a new heart. It requires that you be born again. The natural heart of man is desperately wicked and sinful. We'll never love God. You need a new heart. You need to be born again. You need to be converted. We call it regeneration or a new creation. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved from your sinful natural state, you will never love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't do it. It's a contrary to your nature. By nature, by sin, you run from God. You're a fugitive. You want to find ways to hide from Him. You'll be with those on the judgment day that will cry to the mountains and the rocks, hide me from the face of Him. Because without a new heart, 
you can never love God. It also means to love the worship of God that he has revealed. If you're going to love God, you're going to love the, the tools, the steps, the ladder that leads you into the presence of God. And here we have them, these commandments. Now, they're not ladders to salvation, but they are the tools by which we work strive to please our Heavenly Father. And there's a principle here to remember. Uh, if you ever study the larger catechism, question 99, where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. In other words, if it says, thou shalt not fall down and worship them, those idols, but you shall fall down and worship me, we are to actively engage in worship of God. And we've got to do that with love to demonstrate the devotion, the warm-hearted desire of our very soul. And it means that we love to personally participate in and promote the true worship of God. If you had been an Israelite way back in the days of Moses, and this covenant was given, and these Ten Commandments were given, and you were one born into the Israelite economy and nation, and you saw all these people using their energy and time to build the tabernacle, build the altar, gather the priests, confess their sins, and seek the glory of God, and you stood back as an observer somewhere on the edge and looked inward on it, you might say, boy, this is really something. But you're not there. You're not in it, and your heart's not in it. And I think there's a lot of people in church life a bit like that. They are more like observers on the fringe, and they, and they say, boy, that's really something. And there's a sense of admiration, and this is, this is the right thing to do, but don't really get hands-on don't bring their own sacrifices. Don't plead the blood of the sacrifice. Don't add their voices to the praise. And don't watch the high priest enter in through the veil. Don't listen for the bells to ring and the Shekinah glory to descend. That's to actively worship. And so we're to do all of that as we worship the Lord. The great tragedy in Israel was that they so quickly turned away to build a golden calf. You just read on a page or two in the book of Exodus, and there's Aaron, and he is promoting calf, golden calf worship. It's the greatest tragedy in the history of Israel. Just after all that God had given them, the tragedy of our day is to see people turn away from true worship to the false. There's more people interested now in the New Age movement, in the Eastern religions that are invading the West, and the worship of Christ and the purity of Bible religion. People just, just abandon it. And so if we're going to keep the second commandment, we've got to say no to Aaron. Don't you dare build that calf. I'll not have anything to do with it. I want to remember what God said. 
I have to worship him without any likeness. Now, we personally participate in true worship. We've got to do that to fulfill this commandment. But also, we need to be an example to promote that worship in others. There are people under some sphere of our influence, family, friends, who do not worship God. And our role, if we're going to fulfill this command, is to lead them that they will join us in promoting true worship. How do you really do that in real practical terms? Well, first of all, I would ask you to pray for the preacher. If it goes wrong in this pulpit, it's going to go wrong in the pew. If we're not a, a, a church that w- with an eye to the glory of God and to this commandment, to bow down and worship the one true God and remember his word, if it goes wrong here, there's going to be untold numbers of people who are led astray. You've got to pray for the preacher. You've got to pray for the leadership of the church. You've got to pray that the church will be kept pure in its worship, in its practice, in its witness, that we will not participate in nor encourage any false worship. We need to pray that the seats of the church be filled. Oh, happy day when these seats are filled and the people are crowding in and the people are saying, teach us the worship of the Lord. We need to pray for that. Only God can do that. We need to be a leader. We need to be a witness. You can give out a Bible. Tonight we have the representative of the Trinitarian Bible Society. Won't be selling Bibles and stuff today because it's the Lord's Day. But TBS Bibles, you can't do better. I remember a speaker saying once, every Bible you buy from them funds another Bible for someone in the world who can't afford it. Give a Bible. Give a gospel booklet. Spend time with people in prayer. Invite someone to read the Bible with you. Isn't that a wonderful idea? A coffee time as you look, we're going to meet once a week and we're going to read a chapter of the Bible together. No, no pressure, nothing, just let God's Word speak. And what are you doing? You're promoting truth-based worship, Bible-based worship. And then, our children. You can't read these verses and not notice the warnings, but also the promises about our children. It says in verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love and keep me. Now, the thousand there is a thousand generations. And I can back that up with other places in the Bible where that comes through. And so, God's warnings that he visits the iniquity of the idolater for up to four generations. The impact of idolatry, the darkness, the uncleanness that ensues from that practice, it rubs off on generations to come. But you will see that the promise to a true worshiper, them that love me, is for a thousand generations. That means forever. 
forever. God's mercy is extended to those that need His mercy. Now, if you're going to keep the second commandment, one of your big burdens is going to be for your children. The saddest day of a parent's life is to see a child become an idolater. That would be the most tragic day of a Christian parent's life, to see my son or daughter that I have raised, prayed with, and taught, and instructed, and been a leader and example to them, and see them turn to worship false gods, or to turn their back on God and state they hate Him. That's tragedy. And we tremble. And the thing that we must labor for and pray with, for together as a church is to see our children come into this blessing, this mercy, that their children and their children, that we will see God multiply His mercies over and over unto our children. That's a tremendous, tremendous blessing. That's real prosperity to the Christian, to see God work in our children and take them on to live for God. Will my children and my grandchildren look up to me and thank God for the testimony and the treasure of a living example of godly worship and faith? If I feel, I feel them. I deny them of the promise of God. If I turn my back on God, if I turn to hate Him, and I become an example to others, I lead them away from the blessing to the curse. This, this commandment, drives me to my knees. It drives me to depend on God that He will give me the grace that He gave to Abram. You remember the covenant promises He gave to Abram? And what a multitude came forth from Abram's life, and Moses, and Joshua. But we know that idolatry came in like a flood to Israel. And we see that and tremble. Don't let it happen to you. I'll start with grandparents, my own generation here. We cannot afford on the last lap of life to allow anything to ruin the promises, to spoil the example. We've got to speed up, not slow down. We've got to intensify our walk with God, not in any way gear down. Parents, you have children in your home. You have them under your influence these few years, and I assure you they are but a few years. Now's the time. Now's the time to fulfill this second commandment in your home, in your heart firstly, in your home, and in every opportunity that you might lead your children to know, to bow down to, to energetically give their hearts and minds to the worship of the true God. You've got to do it, or we come under the censorship of this very commandment that is before us. 
and children, boys and girls, teenagers. Here's a commandment that's written for you. Oh, I wish these Ten Commandments were still in our schools. I wish that they were in public buildings. I wish, in fact, I have asked uh, the man who's picking up uh, our speaker uh, to bring a poster with the Ten Commandments. Go to put it up downstairs on our board. And if we can't speak to these children, we'll let that poster do its speaking. And the text John 3.16 alongside it, just in case the Ten Commandments is a little complicated for them. But we've got to do our all that we worship the true God. Now, teenagers, young people, boys and girls, these laws are for you. And you've got to give your life to walking with God and worshiping Him in spirit and truth. And don't you dare turn to idols. And don't you dare turn to the trends of this age that are going to make the things, or the images of man, some way of worship. That's all idolatry. But you must get to this Word. The best thing that young people can do is memorize the Scriptures. I would have our Sunday school teachers get the children to memorize these Ten Commandments. We have a Christmas event coming up. Let's, let's get our kids to memorize the Ten Commandments. And then let's pray that God, by His grace, will write that law on their hearts and make them living, new, walking New Testaments, known and read of all men. That's how the gospel and the law work together. The law points us to Christ. The law gives us the tools how to live. Christ is the one who did it perfectly. You see, the Lord Jesus kept these Ten Commandments, every one of them, perfectly. And He went to the cross, not because He had broken the law, but because we had broken the law. And on that cross, He took the curse that should have been mine. And that curse he took upon his own body on that cruel tree. And he poured out his life and his blood as my Redeemer in my place. That I might be made the righteousness of God. And if you're here today a sinner unsaved, let me tell you, Christ fulfilled the law for you. And this commandment only tells you you need a Savior. And you need him today. And until Christ is your Savior and living in your heart, you'll never keep this commandment as you should. I hope that today you will come. Put your trust in my Lord Jesus, in the one who died for us on that cross. Will you trust him? See your need of him and trust him. That's what it's all about. If I can help you, I'm here to help. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey. 
at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.